Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This is San Diego Decides from Voice of San Diego. I'm Nate John. Ahead of the general election on November 3rd, we're going to bring you interviews and discussions all about what you'll be voting on. These are from PolitiFest, our annual politics and public affairs summit. Uh, We usually hold that event in person. It's a whole thing. It's one big day with a lot of elected officials and candidates and experts. Uh, They get together to talk about the most pressing things happening in San Diego that year. This year, though, it was all virtual, so what you're going to hear all happened remotely over the course of an entire week. But again, here in this feed, I'm going to bring you a selection of some of the most interesting discussions and debates that happened during PolitiFest. I think you'll really enjoy them, especially if you follow this show. Right now, the race for mayor of San Diego with candidates Assemblyman Todd Gloria and City Councilwoman Barbara Bree. The moderator is Voice of San Diego CEO and Editor-in-Chief, Scott Lewis. Okay, so thank you very much for coming tonight. Let's have a great conversation about the future of our city. I've done a few of these already with these candidates. We are finally coming to the last lap of this race. I know you guys are probably ready for this to, uh, to end as well. I'll start with you, Todd. The mayor of San Diego, Mayor Kevin Faulkner, made a lot of decisions when the uh, pandemic first came out. I, I always call it the Tom Hanks day, the day that Tom Hanks got the virus. It seems like that's the day that it all started for us, at least in this country. That day, a lot of things started happening. Uh, the mayor closed beaches, closed parks, closed uh, uh, playgrounds, which are only now starting to come open. He began a, a really intense process of moving people out of uh, the shelters, the, the tent shelters that had been set up for years now, and, and moved them into the convention center. And then he, he also began weeks worth of sort of relentlessly advocating for businesses to reopen, or at least a, a plan for when they would reopen. What do you think would have gone different, uh, Mr. Gloria, had you been mayor on Tom Hanks Day? Well, first off, Scott, thank you so much for this opportunity. I believe this is our third PolitiFest discussing the 2020 mayor's election. Yeah. Uh, I did finally reach the end of the road. With you. <laughs> we do things uh, we, with a lot of advanced notice around here. You take the long way. It's right. Um, <laughs> so to answer your question, you know, I think that the city is to be commended in the sense that, you know, San Diego County uh, was uh, the only Southern California County until recently that was in tier two, the the red tier, uh, as uh, you've noted, in in terms of our response. And I think that has indicated that some of the things have gone correctly. And I hope to have matched that. I think some areas that were troublesome to me, not as an assembly member, but just as a San Diegan, uh, was maybe some of the disjointed nature of the initial response. So for example, 
when the mayor was quick to close our city's beaches, I think that was the right move. We were being instructed to stay home uh, and to avoid large crowds. But the mayor's failure to coordinate with other local beach cities created a situation where you actually had larger crowds on other beaches in smaller cities. And that lack of coordination, I think, erodes public trust. If we can't get beaches right, how are we supposed to listen to people about social distancing, following the public health order, wearing face coverings? And then that was compounded when the mayor decided to reopen the beaches relatively arbitrarily, in my opinion, and similarly not coordinating with other beach cities uh, or the state of California. I think there's been other uneven nature uh, of, of the opening and closing of the city's overall strategy. I think the fact that the mayor and the county have held separate press conferences is also problematic. I think that we should be speaking with one voice in this region and making sure there's no daylight in our public response. Uh, but you know, those criticisms uh, you know, come up against, I think, an excellent uh, action with regard to getting our homeless off the streets and converting our convention center into a shelter. And the results are there. You know, we have uh, one of the lower ratings in Southern California and I would hope to keep it that way if I'm the mayor. Do you think, uh, you mentioned that beaches were, were open. Do you think that was too early? You know, I'm trying to think back to when that was done. I believe that was around May 1st or thereabouts. And, you know, I think that was predating a lot of information. Now, we know better now that being outdoors is um, is is safer, less risky. Um, so that, it may have been fine, but my criticism, Scott, is the fact that the mayor would not use the bully pulpit of his office to coordinate with the mayors of places like Carlsbad and Del Mar and the state of California to make sure that we're working as one region. This virus does not respect the city limits. Uh, and that lack of broader regional approaches, I think is symptomatic of other failings regionally. When we look at our transportation system, our homeless uh, system, our housing goals, uh, this is just one of the symptoms when the, mayor, uh, when the city of San Diego isn't leading and therefore is, uh, perhaps affecting uh, the, the, the effectiveness of our public health response. Okay. Barbara, you're mayor on Tam, Tom Hanks Day back in March. What comes out differently? Were you in charge? So I think Todd made a lot of good points of some of the things our mayor did well. I think the convention center, for example, uh, mobilizing the convention center as a place for homeless individuals, getting the city and the county to work together in a coordinated way uh, better than we have in ages. But here are some things I would have done differently. Number one, I realized immediately that the key to keeping this virus under control was all about testing and contact tracing. And early on, I call, you know, we're fortunate that in San Diego, there are actually companies that make testing equipment like Hologic and, and Thermo Fisher. And I was on the phone with them very quickly as a council member, finding out what their capacity was, how, how we could help them increase their capacity. My council office helped Hologic expand their uh, manufacturing facility, get the permits very quickly. As the, at the county level, I would have been like all over buying up the test kits that were just made locally because it was key that we make that the testing uh, was going to be one of the, the key factors in whether we were going to control the virus. And it's interesting, the New York Times just had a detailed story about college campuses opening successfully around the country, not SDSU, but it was, it's been all about testing. And so that I would have been all over right away in a much more vigorous way. Second, the contact tracing. I would have been all over that as a leader right away. You know, we need to hire more, we need to scale up, and we need to be ready. And the county has gotten their act together better, but also as we saw with the county, uh, 
we weren't doing contract tracing effectively in the southern parts of the city because we didn't have contact tracers who came from those communities. So, I mean, it needed to be a coordinated effort between the city and the county. Third, um, the impact on small business. In the early days of the pandemic of the lockdown, you could go to Target or Costco, you could buy a book, a toy, a piece of furniture, a piece of clothing, but you couldn't go to your neighborhood retailer. Small business has borne a disproportionate impact, and I would have worked more quickly to get small businesses being able to open quickly in a socially distanced way. And then I will say fourth, face masks. I mean, the minute that everything opened, both the governor and mayors all over should have been telling us that we needed to wear a face mask. In the early days of the pandemic, you know, when I went to the grocery store, I didn't wear a face mask. I certainly would have um, if I had been told I needed to. And I think that is something that should have been done more quickly. And then as mayor, I'd be much more visible out in public wearing a face mask, you know, just going, doing my normal errands, walking in my neighborhood, whatever, but being visible, modeling the, the behavior that we want our leaders to do. Uh, which is when we go out in public, wear a face mask. Um, Let me ask you uh, about one of that their points. So you, you talked about the tracing and testing. The county of San Diego is generally assumed to be the one in charge of public health, of testing, tracing. Uh, they have 600 contact tracers right now. Are you saying that, they've, that they didn't step up enough and that the city had a role to well, actually play with that? I think the mayor had a role to play. You know, and I don't know what, you know, if closed door meetings went on, but I think the mayor had a role to play in making sure it was happening. I mean, the bi a lot of the biotech industry is, you know, within the city limits. It's in my, a lot of it's in my council district, and I was talking to these companies regularly. So, so some really nice things came out of it. I mean, Biocom started a website quickly where the companies and the hospitals could share personal protective uh, equipment. But I would have been all, I mean, as, you know, I, I, as a council member, you know, in my newsletters and on social media, I would say things, but I didn't have the bully pulpit or the impact that a mayor could have. Okay. Todd, uh, anything you want to respond to in what she said there? Well, I mean, again, I've had the opportunity to lead the city uh, in the mayor's office. And so I recognize that it's easy to look back and, and try and, uh, criticize. And that's why you hear me uh, acknowledging the outcomes of where we are at as a community relative to other things. Could things be done better? Of course. But I think that what we know is that as we have gained knowledge on how this virus works, we have tried to do better. And so when the county of San Diego issued a mask order on May the 1st, uh, we actually, I think, predated the state by about a month. And, you know, obviously the initial uh, advice from the federal government was that face masks were not necessary or perhaps even detrimental because they could be taking away resources from our public health uh, heroes. So, you know, I, I think you do better as you know better. I think the commitment has to be whether or not we're learning more. And, you know, listen, getting tests at the beginning of this pandemic was difficult. You know, the state of California was trying to do what we needed, whatever we could to get these together because we lack a national strategy. I would observe that, uh, you know, we're the only major American city with a Republican mayor, you know, it seems as though that might've been an opportunity for this mayor to have uh, called up the president and see if he could have gotten us some help. I mean, the president doesn't seem to like um, democratic mayors, but maybe this could have been a value add, but regardless, you know, we are where we are. We have to continue to, you know, hold the line when it comes to the public health order. And I think the city does have a role in doing that with enforcement. I wanted to shift gears, but it's still about the pandemic. Unless there's a major bailout coming from Washington, and I don't know that you can count on that, 
the city is going to face some budget deficits unlike what we've seen for a long time. I think a lot of us saw some potential problems with finances coming up for the next few years. But now, of course, uh, we're going to start hit, hitting some historic budget deficits. Now, I, I'd like to hear clearly from, from both of you how you go about prioritizing those kinds of tough decisions. What, when you look at the things that the city does, public safety, trash, parks, libraries, these core things, and then some of the benefits on top of the things that needed just to function as a civilization, what do you do to decide what should be prioritized or not? Because you're going to have to make some tough choices. And you as the mayor are going to have to actually lay out the tough choices before somebody else can start to deliberate them. Barbara, uh, how do you rank the kind of priorities that the city focuses on when you go through a, a process like that? Well, first of all, um, I will note that uh, the public, uh, the largest public employee union has just put a quarter of a million dollars into a committee to defeat me and support my opponent. So I would like to ask the voters, who do you trust to make good decisions that are going to be in the interests of all of us? Um, this is the same uh, union that advocated vociferously for, vociferously for uh, the purchase of 101 Ash Street, uh, which my opponent, you know, enthusiastically supported. So here's what I will do as mayor. First of all, that isn't something the mayor is going to do unilaterally. The mayor, there are nine members of the city council. They have priorities. Um, an effective mayor is going to work collaboratively with the city council. The, the, an effective mayor is going to listen to the community. We all have budgets at home. You know, we all have $1 to spend. We all have to decide how we're going to spend that $1 and we have to make choices. You know, I've run businesses and other organizations. You never can do everything you want to do. You have to make choices. And that's how I will operate as mayor. I do have seen as a council member that we have a bloated middle management. I think through attrition, we can reduce that. I have seen as a council member, we have many leases that we do not need. We right now have many city employees working remotely very effectively. And I think many would like to continue doing that after the pandemic. And I want the city to be a role model for an effective remote workforce. But most of all, I'm going to use my experience, you know, from starting companies, starting nonprofits, uh, almost four years on the city council in bringing people together to figure out how we're going to spend the money that we do have. And long term, I have a vision, which I hope we will get to, on how we're going to grow our economy so that we're less dependent on tourism. So let me uh, ask you about one thing you said. You said largest employee union has supported your, your rival here. I think what you're, you're talking about, the Municipal Employees yes. Association. Uh, they now put a quarter of a million dollars into a committee supporting my opponent. And so what were you implying with that, that he would defer to them uh, on compensation and, and deficit spending? Uh, I'm going to let you all make up your mind. I'm just saying they're putting a quarter of a million dollars in to trying to defeat me. That's a lot of money. It's like uncalled for. Remember, we're both Democrats. So this is kind of very unusual. This intensity of this kind of money aimed at me is very unusual. And remember, the next mayor is also going to be negotiating the outcome of getting Proposition B out of the city charter. And that's a very interesting story, because remember, I was the editor of Voice of San Diego. I happened to have been the first editor when uh, the city pension scandal sort of really unraveled. 
And it, you know, this was long before Todd or I were ever, you know, involved in local politics, but it was, it's sort of the same, it's sort of 101 Ash Street earlier of a group of, you know, in the early 2000s, the city council, you know, underfunded our pension system because it was kind of a go along, get along. This is what all the special interests across this political spectrum want because we want to use the money for other things. And then, you know, many years later, 101 Ash, you know, all the special interests again, want this office building uh, yeah. for, many, for different reasons. And it reminded me of the early days of Voice of San Diego. Yes, yes, just for background, Barbara was the founding CEO and, and editor-in-chief of, of Voice of San Diego. And in 2005, Andrew Donahue and I uh, took over. So I, uh, let me just push you on, on one point. Are, are you saying you would oppose that group of employees and other employees getting full guaranteed pensions back through this process? Well, I just want to make sure that, you know, I mean, basically the courts have told us we need to make our employees whole. Yeah. And we are at a competitive, and I did vote for Proposition B in 2012. And at the time, you know, part of it was because I'd seen as the first editor of Voice, you know, this whole scandal unravel. Uh, but I expected that other forms of government would follow. They didn't. So the city of San Diego is at a competitive disadvantage now because we do not offer a guaranteed pension. But I want to make sure whatever is negotiated is in the best interests of the employees and the taxpayers. And okay. as many are, you know, the, the employees, as I you know, talk to city employees across the board, most of them care a great deal about what they do. They want to do a good job. They're honored to work for the city of San Diego. And I view them as important partners. But bringing up pensions, and this will be the last thing I'll say on this question, um, I've done some research. And um, so first of all, I'm in the 401k type system. And as mayor, I will stay in that system. Although Proposition B does say that even if the parts related to the union unionized employees are found illegal, the parts related to elected officials are still in effect. So yeah. I'd like to ask Todd Gloria tonight, will you accept a guaranteed pension if you are mayor? I've done some research. If you do, uh, based on the, the current salary of the mayor, this could cost the taxpayers up to $2 million. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. And just for folks who are talking about it, uh, I like to do follow-ups with the people who speak and, and sort of ask them to extrapolate on some of the things they're going to say. I'm going to keep doing that. Todd Gloria will get plenty of time to talk. Now, Todd Gloria, I asked about priorities. She brought up uh, pensions. I brought up pensions. Uh, let's talk first about priorities, and I'll remember some of these pension questions. Uh, let's go through that. You're faced with a lot of difficult budget decisions. How do you sort of lay out priorities? Barbara Bree didn't really lay out priorities of different types of services. What would you uh, sort of lay out as your rank? Yeah, or I didn't hear a lot of specifics in that answer, but it was lengthy. That was for sure. Um, you know, Scott, I think that your uh, viewers, your listeners uh, need some important context. Prior to the pandemic, the city was running a significant budget deficit. And I think that's important to know uh, just in terms of how it reflects upon recent financial practices at the city. You know, when I was elected to the city council in 2008, we were in the midst of the Great Recession. We were facing nine-figure budget deficits. And as the chair of the city's budget committee for six of the years I was on the city council, we were able to turn those deficits into surpluses and plow a lot of those extra dollars into reserves, reserves that are going to serve the city well as we try and navigate through the next couple of years of, uh, of the recession. 
you know, that is my record. Um, and that contrasts quite significantly with my opponent who has the, been the budget chair the last four years. And I, I think that that means that I'm the one that's better experienced to help us get through this difficult time. You're asking for priorities. Well, you know, I would go back to what we did previously uh, because as a history major from the University of San Diego, and thanks for doing this with, in conjunction with my alma mater, you know, I think that that's instructive. And we did the kinds of things that help get through that try and minimize impacts in neighborhoods. So that's things like hiring freezes, like eliminating vacant positions, uh, deferring uh, capital improvement projects, uh, trying to find uh, uh, long-term savings that are possible to integrate into the budget to help balance it, while simultaneously advocating in Washington uh, for additional stimulus. I'm hopeful that most of the people watching tonight are gonna vote for change in the White House and give us hopefully a different Senate that actually would recognize that not passing additional economic stimulus for the last six months is terrible. And it's harming not just the city, but our school districts and our state. So, uh, you know, there's a lot that can be done. And I actually think my relationship with our city employees, and by the way, I'm honored to have their endorsement. And under a strong mayor form of government, these are the folks that I will be asked to oversee. And the fact that they've looked at both of us and determined that I'm the person they prefer to work for, I think says a lot because we're gonna to need to have an energized and city workforce, people with high morale. I think Scott, you know well that the morale at City Hall is extremely low and we're not gonna be able to meet our service levels with demoralized employees. So yes, I'm honored to have the endorsement of our white collar workers, our lifeguards, our firefighters, our police officers and others. I think that's actually gonna help us get through these difficult times. But Scott, you know, make no mistake, it's gonna be difficult. And my hope would be to minimize impacts uh, to, the na to neighborhoods. I would point out that our city charter uh, specifically says that public safety must be our top priority, and that would be reflected in my budget priorities. Um, but ultimately, you know, I've done this before. I believe I can do it again, and it's going to be done in concert in partnership with our city employees. Do you feel, though, that you might be conflicted, that uh, you might feel like you owe them at all for if you do win, get it, helping you get over this hump? And then when you go to negotiate with them, we'll uh, have that in the back of your mind? No. I mean, I appreciate the support, but what did you just hear me say? I'm talking about hiring freezes, uh, you know, eliminating vacant positions. These are not necessarily things I suspect that they would be supporting, but the, it's what the math dictates. And quite honestly, when I'm hearing someone talk about trying to eliminate bloated middle management, I would point out that she's voted for every single one of those budgets that increased those headcounts. So, you know, I think the difference is, is that I am who I am, Scott. You know, my positions don't change based on the elections that I'm running for. And importantly, you know, and this is a distinction as well, you want to talk about pensions. You know, I had the foresight to recognize Prop B for what it was, which was a turkey. It was a lemon. It was ultimately deemed illegal. And that has cost the city a tremendous amount of money. So we've tried to do pensions the Barbara Bree way, and that has not worked out well for San Diego. I and, think we've tried a different approach. And so uh, pensions for city employees is something you want to get back into there, uh, get back into the system. And then also, is, is, I think it is fair, would you feel like the mayor and city council should get back into that system as well? Well, I would, first off, I would say that I do believe in retirement security, and, the, and I do prefer defined benefit plans. Now, I'm not going to make the same mistake that my opponent and others did, which is to uh, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to negotiate with our bargaining units and come to a conclusion. My commitment to the public is that what we will do is going to be fiscally sustainable and respect taxpayers. Obviously, that wasn't necessarily a feature um, of the previous uh, program. And then with regard to my own compensation, we will figure this out. 
But I will tell you that, you know, Ms. Bree uh, is in her mansion on top of a high hill in La Jolla. And I, I'm broadcasting from my one bedroom apartment in Mission Hills. I will tell you uh, that uh, I will not have her dictate how we're going to be doing uh, city uh, compensation. Uh, when we've done it her way, it's cost the city millions. Yeah, I want to give you a chance to respond. But I also want to hear your, both of your takes on Proposition 15. It's on the ballot. It's uh, splitting the, the system of property taxes to allow commercial properties and their valuations to rise and thus the tax on commercial properties, shopping centers, office parks, those sorts of things to go up. And that's on the ballot. A lot of people have to make a tough choice on that. So yeah, Barbara, if you want to respond quickly and, and, uh, well, and also well, elucidate your point on that. Yeah, so first of all, I think it's very fair to ask Mr. Gloria whether he is going to take a guaranteed pension. As a member of the state legislature, he does not get a guaranteed pension. State employees do. And I support, at this point, guaranteed pensions for city employees. That's different than elected officials. So I think it's important that the voters know whether Mr. Gloria is going to expect a guaranteed pension as if he is the mayor or whether he will go into the same 401k type program that I've been in and would stay in. Uh, what, what, since when did public service have to be just a place where wealthy people can go? You know, is that good for our democracy? If only millionaires like my opponent can actually do public service? Uh, the is state legislature the has many different kinds of people. Not is this race to the bottom what we want? If we think that that's the best. The voters of San Diego recently went to the polls to increase compensation for elected officials under the hope that it would get better outcomes. I, I, I'm perplexed by the logical uh, conclusion of her argument which is that our democracy can only be a place where people like Donald Trump and Barbara Bree can serve in public office. I don't think that's what people want. I mean, I think inherent of his point, Barbara, is that you know, he doesn't have a lot of wealth built up to live on. It, it, it seems reasonable, as he's making the point for in his, in his worldview, that people should have guaranteed pensions and, and thus maybe him too. Uh, are you saying that, um, you know, I, I mean, I guess what would be your direct response to his point that- well, My point is I support uh, guaranteed pensions for city employees. They're not in the social security system. It's put the city at a competitive advantage. Uh -huh. An elected official is a different situation. There is a 401k program at the city. Uh, and would you contribute a certain percentage, similar to what most companies have today. You All contribute right. a certain percentage of your salary and the city matches it. So Thank there you. is a pension program. It's similar to what Mr. Gloria gets in the state legislature right now. I think, that, I think that's clear. Prop 15, quickly, Barbara, yes sure. or no? Prop 15, I'm a no vote. You're uh, a no vote. Is, I'm a no vote. This is in the middle of a pandemic. You don't raise taxes. Uh, this does end up hurting. So I know they've written in some of what they think are exemptions for small business, but given property values in San Diego uh, and the way leases are written, any increase in operating costs like real estate taxes is simply passed on to the restaurant, the small business, the dry cleaner, uh, whatever. So I am a no vote. Todd? I'm not making an endorsement in that race. I see the need for additional revenue for our schools, and this is particularly acute uh, because of the pandemic and the lack of additional federal relief. But that said, I'm concerned the exemption that is in Prop 15 for small businesses is not enough to protect local small businesses. And as a consequence, I'm not making an endorsement in that race. Fascinating. All right. Thank you very much. We have a lot going on this week. My colleague here, she's right off screen collecting all these questions. Lisa Halverstadt did an excellent story. For years, she's been following uh, the situation of the Navigation Center that the city of San Diego worked really hard to uh, purchase a building quickly 
and turn it into a, a navigation center for homeless individuals where they could go. It was touted for a while as a one-stop shop. You could go get uh, everything from your car license, your driver's license reconciled to services, health care, all kinds of things. Uh, but this week, the, we, we finally learned, this is that old skydive building in uh, East Village. The city purchased it rather rapidly. Uh, the CEO of Family Health Centers, which was contracted to run this facility, just finally came out this week that it is no longer going to be working on that project. CEO Fran Butler Cohen took a swipe at the city on her way out. She said this, quote, during the last year, we have come to understand from reliable sources that the navigation project was orchestrated more as a public relations undertaking than a needed and important component of a homeless continuum. Barbara, when you were on the city council, this thing came forward. You did purchase that building. What's your take on what has happened? Great. So first of all, I think the Navigation Center has been successful in helping make the Convention Center successful in terms of having the outreach of social workers to talk to homeless individuals to get them to the Convention Center where they could get the help they needed. I was a no vote on an extension of the contract of the Family Health Centers because I was not getting data from the mayor's depart, uh, office as to the effectiveness of what they were doing. Um, as we saw from Lisa's story, uh, the Housing Commission is going to be moving into that space and they will be doing the appropriate outreach. So the building will be used for what it was intended to be used for, which is to do outreach uh, by social workers uh, to homeless individuals in downtown. And Let that was the use. Why do you need a building for that? When you, homeless people are spread throughout the region, throughout downtown, why not just literally go out to them? Why have a building where people line up, need to go to, and the neighbors were not very excited about that? Well, first of all, you need an office for the people who are going to go out. And I did visit this, the, uh, the navigation center when it was up and running. It also was a place where homeless individuals could come to use could meet with their social workers to um, access help and use some of the computers on site. So it, it you know, had a per it was being used for the purpose that it was intended. I'm not sure if family health centers was a good choice. That was one of the reasons I voted no on extending their contract because I hadn't seen appropriate data that they were doing what needed to be done in terms of appropriate outreach uh, to individuals on the street. Hmm. Todd, the navigation center. You know how I feel about this, Scott. This has been a disaster from start to finish. And it is emblematic of why San Diego is spending more than we ever have on the homelessness crisis. Yet most San Diegans don't feel like the problem is getting better. They feel like it's getting worse. Uh, we sunk uh, $7 million into this property, as you noted, in a rushed deal with no appraisal, uh, purchased from a political benefactor of my opponent and the current mayor. Um, and, you know, has resulted in uh, housing, I think from Lisa's reporting, was something like 120 people over the roughly the year that it has been there. You know, listen, the way you solve homelessness is with housing. And the fact that we would spend $7 million on a three-story, 25,000-square-foot facility that houses no one, it tells every San Diegan why this problem is not getting better, why we are not joining the ranks of cities across the nation that are ending chronic homelessness. And I think that San Diegans deserve better. I think we deserve to have a... a, a a strategy that is informed by best practices, national best practices, and that can actually get people off the streets. Uh, you're seeing some of that with the convention center. Think, look at what we're doing on an emergency basis. Think about whether or not, if there had ever been the will to do that before, what, what good we could have done 
previously. You know, my commitment has been to try and not let this momentum that has been built over the last six months go away, which is why I called for the city to keep the operations of the convention center going through the calendar year. Um, I think it is a minimal until we uh, acquire and open the hotels that have been purchased with state funding that I and our San Diego delegation has been successful in securing for San Diego. So ultimately, I think the Navigation Center is a cautionary tale in what has been the status quo approach for homelessness in San Diego and something the next mayor must learn from in order to actually get the results that San Diegans deserve. Imagine you have a response, Barbara. Well, I will say the Convention Center has been very successful in getting unsheltered individuals off the street, and it's been a great example of the city and the county working closely together. It's a great month, finally, and going forward as mayor, I'm going to make sure that collaboration continues. I will meet regularly with the Board of Supervisors. And it's interesting, the Convention Center is not housing first, which Mr. Gloria touts as the solution. I mean, the convention center is really a larger version of the bridge shelters uh, that the council had already been funding, but a more efficient uh, version of the bridge shelters because the overhead is all in one place. And I do support, you know, we had a council meeting on Tuesday where we got updates on the outcomes have been at the convention center from the data that was presented to us. The outcomes have been very good with getting people into substance abuse programs, mental health programs, reuniting them with their families and getting them the other kinds of assistance that they need. So I think it's been successful and next week the council will be voting on extending uh, the convention center and I believe we should, ex I've for a long time believed we should extend it toward the end of the, to the end of the year at a minimum and possibly until the spring because the convention center isn't going to be used for anything else. Corporate meetings and conventions aren't coming back quickly even if the pandemic would disappear quickly uh, people just aren't ready to come to these kinds of events. And this is a very good use of, of a city property. So you want to keep that property. You don't want to sell it or turn it into housing or anything like that. You want to keep it as it was intended for that purchase. Yeah, it, it, is, it, it is having a navigation center, having a place to do homeless outreach out of is very, very important. And it's so I it think can work with the right operator. Uh, and, and you've made your point uh, that you feel like housing first, as you described the idea that you just got to get people into housing first before you solve their other problems, that that is, uh, you know, we need housing, we need shelter for, for those folks. Do you believe that the city has a responsibility to find permanent shelter for the hundreds of people who are in the convention center right now sheltering? Yeah, I think we will find housing. So first of all, I'm honored that Father Joe has endorsed me. He you know, has a lot of history in successful outcomes for homeless individuals. Uh, when my opponent was sworn in for a second term on the city council, he promised to end chronic homelessness downtown in four years. That time, there were about 593 unsheltered individuals downtown, according to the Downtown Partnership, which does a monthly count. And that number more than doubled in the last four years he was on the council to over 1,400. And Father Joe blames Todd's policies on that increase, for that increase. <laughs> Todd, why are you shaking your head? You know, here's, the, here's what I marvel at, Scott. Homelessness has been the issue of my career. I served on our housing commission. I chaired our city's housing committee. I served in the housing committee in the legislature. And so I get frustrated when someone who has never shown any interest in this issue prior to the decision to run for mayor decides to criticize those of us that have been working on this forever. And 
the, the idea that housing first is now bad is not something that my opponent believed just a short while ago. That position changed and uh, there's been not an explanation uh, for why that occurred. Uh, and I would say that, you know, the descriptions that I often hear from my opponent on what housing first is shows a lack of understanding of what it actually does. Housing first is not housing only. Housing first with services is how you end homelessness. And I would argue that what's happening at the convention center is very much that. You're getting people off the streets immediately. You're not telling them, wait until you get sober, wait until you get clean, and then come talk to us. You're saying, we'll take you in, we're going to wrap you with services, and we're going to find you a permanent placement. And it is showing good results. If it takes a pandemic to reduce the number of homelessness on the street, I don't think that's a cause for celebration, you know, in terms of trying to compare uh, from a time when the city was having redevelopment dollars ripped away from it, our primary funding source for creating more affordable housing, housing that formerly homeless people can live in. I guess the question is, where do we go from here? And I'm concerned by the fact that we could have a mayor that is not following national best practices, that is not looking at other cities uh, who are having success with this issue and trying to replicate those things in this community. Instead, uh, just sort of leveling criticisms uh, when having had relatively little experience with this issue. And this is where I need to remind you, Scott, and I think you know, there is no permanent supportive housing in Council District 1, my opponent's district. There's none proposed for her district. There's none under construction in her district. So how are we gonna solve this issue if we are not willing to walk the walk when it comes to this uh, particularly difficult social problem? Barbara, did you wanna respond or should I move on? Um, I'll just end with, um, we need to get people off the street, get them into a structured program, which is different than Housing First. In Housing First, you get all the rights of a tenant. That's very different than being in a structured program that addresses your needs if it's mental health or substance abuse. So in, in my approach, it's we get people the help that they need uh, in a structured program, in a physical environment, and then they can go to, you know, and have the rights of a tenant in an apartment. Permanent okay, supportive I, housing. Permanent. That's well, where they but in, in housing, first of all, the social services are voluntary. That is the difference. Okay. I do want to ask you for both of your yes or no takes on measure A. This is the uh, property tax increase to actually fund affordable housing units using both the money that the property tax increase generates, but also matching funds, ideally from the state and federal government. Measure A, Todd, I think you're a yes? <laughs> yes. Okay. Barbara? Uh, because of the pandemic, I haven't yet, yet decided because of okay. the impact on homeowners and renters. Okay. Lisa has been collecting some of the um, questions. There's so many of them, I'm gonna to start to turn to them. There's a lot of things I wanna make sure we get to, Lisa. Uh, police, for example, and I, I, we probably can't talk without doing one, 101 Ash Street. What do you got for us? Let's start with police. Alyssa asks, what is your position on SDPD's violation of the rights of Black Lives Matter and anti-ICE protesters this summer? And what would you do as mayor to eliminate police brutality? Okay, there's two, two questions there. I think we should break them up. One is uh, the question about protesting. Uh, I would like to add a little bit of twist to it too. Uh, we reported about unlawful assembly. That's the moment where a protest flips over to becoming something that the police crack down on. And there's a lot of concern that it, it that, that that line is very ill-defined. When does it actually flip over the, that you need to shut this down? Because unlawful assembly is pretty harsh when you're living in a supposedly free and open society. So let's talk about the um, when police should shut down protests. 
And I'll start with you, Barbara. So um, I support the right of everyone to participate in a peaceful protest. When something turns violent, uh, it is not acceptable. No matter, it, violence is never acceptable. And I support our police in shutting down any incident that becomes violent. Todd? Very similar. I mean, the, you know, people have a con their, their constitutional right to assembly, free speech is a part of our democracy. And I'm seeing too many erosions of that under this administration. And I would hope to be able to stand up against that uh, as the mayor. Uh, the difference becomes when there is safety concerns that are involved and if laws are starting to be broken. I don't think that there's anyone that's supportive of uh, property destruction, of any kind of physical harm coming to folks. And I wanna recognize that there are differences between peaceful protesters and uh, others who uh, you know, seemingly are trying to take advantage of these situations to cause, cause some unfortunate situations. But you know, we should be in the business of protecting uh, the constitution. That's the uh, oath that we take. Uh, and I would keep that oath. Switching to the second part, um, we could have a whole debate about uh, this discussion about the future of law enforcement in the city of San Diego. But um, you, you know, one of the areas that activists have really focused on is the police officers' unions uh, and the protections they have for police officers who either um, have accusations of misconduct against them or otherwise use force too often, those kinds of things. You have the support of the police officers' union. The, the Democratic Party has really tried to discourage candidates from doing that, from taking that. How do you reconcile all of these different forces as you approach the issue? Well, the way I always have, you know, which is to look at the issue and try and make the best decision possible. You know, it is, it is clear that uh, the community uh, is demanding change on how we police. And interestingly, I think that there's an openness uh, from law enforcement to do that. I think they are increasingly agree that they have been asked to do too much. They're uncomfortable uh, doing things like homeless outreach and mental health emergency calls and truancy and other things that we've asked of them simply because they're willing to accept those roles. So I do have their support. I also have the support of Dr. Shirley Weber, who is the state's leading advocate for police reform. And actually, Scott, I believe that having that diverse kind of support from essentially both sides of that issue, both folks saying that I'm the best person to be our next mayor, gives me hope that on this difficult, complex, and often controversial and somewhat uncomfortable issue, that we can find common ground and make San Diego an actual leader again when it comes to policing. Uh, and I'm supportive of Measure B, and I hope your viewers and listeners will support it. And I've said that even uh, in this difficult economy that we're going to uh, experience in the budget times that we're going to see, I am committed to fully and faithfully implementing uh, the new police review board and making sure that it has the funding that it needs to hold officers accountable. Uh, I think that shows my commitment to this issue. Barbara, any other points on this issue? Yeah, so I'll just say, first of all, um, I, was for, I first learned about the Independent Police Review Commission in 2018 when Women Occupy presented the concept, and I supported it immediately. Uh, at that time, there were only four of us to put it on the ballot, who wanted to put it on the ballot, so it did not get on the 2018 ballot. Uh, this time around, because of the tragic events around the country, uh, it was a unanimous vote. I think it's long overdue to have an independent commission where people who feel they've been a victim of police abuse are able to turn. It creates more trust between the community and law enforcement. And I'm very honored that Andrea St. Julian, the, the author of that measure and the president of the Earl B. Gilliam Bar Association has supported me. When I endorsed it back in 2018, it, I, was taking a, I was sticking my neck out, which is something I've done my whole life. And I knew it was unlikely the Police Officers Association would ever endorse me again. 
uh, because of doing that. But I very much respect what our police officers do every day. Uh, as you know, I did not vote to defund uh, the police department. Both my opponent and I think that's a very simplistic view of law enforcement. We both advocating back, getting back to neighborhood policing. Uh, we both understand that we are asking police officers to do things they aren't trained to do, meant to do, or want to do. But I will just say this is a larger issue of a year ago, the special interests in this town across the political spectrum never expected that I would get to the final two. My opponent got the endorsement of the Central Committee of the Democratic Party, and we knew there would be a Republican at some point. And the primary was crowded. There were five Democrats uh, and one Republican, and everyone assumed Mr. Gloria and Scott Sherman, the Republican, would get out. But now it's a very different world. And a recent poll by the Union Tribune shows that I have a slight lead. So uh, the special interests all lined up with him a long time ago. They're spending a lot of money to try and beat me. I think your uh, people listening today should say, why do all these special interests not want Barbara Bree as mayor? What do they not like about an independent woman who isn't going to be beholden to them, who's going to stand up for our neighborhoods? Okay. Lisa, come on back. I've got a good question from Adam who asked, how has the pandemic changed your priorities? And he's specifically asking about the climate action plan, but I would broaden that question. I think it would be an interesting answer. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, uh, when you frame it in the climate, there's obviously different changes to traffic, to uh, work at home relationships. Todd, uh, what has shifted your worldview since the Tom Hanks day? <laughs> well, speaking to you on the Donald Trump day, uh, let me just say, yeah, you, well, a lot has changed, right? You know, uh, the primary election was essentially a week before Tom Hanks Day, right? And since that time, we've entered into a global pandemic, uh, an economic recession, um, and a racial reconciliation that's been long overdue. And so this job is a bit different. And my commitment to you is that we will uh, defeat the, the virus, we will get the economy back on track, we will not lose sight of this important issue of police reform and uh, working on structural, eliminating structural racism, but we can't take our eye off the ball of the crises that were happening in this community before this. And I'm talking about our homelessness crisis, our infrastructure crisis, and our housing affordability crisis. And so for Adam's question with regard to the Climate Action Plan, which I'm proud to have been the author of the Climate Action Plan when I served as, as the interim mayor, and I'm running for mayor because I wanna be the mayor that implements the Climate Action Plan. You know, I think that uh, what we did in that plan was uh, wise in that we set aside uh, updates every five years. So the next plan, the plan will be updated early next year to take in change circumstances, new technology, new priorities. And I think for me, I mean, the plan continues to be uh, a landmark plan that it really shows what San Diego can do when it chooses to lead. And while we have seen some changes in human behavior, I think we recognize a lot of that is temporary um, and that we still need to build a world-class transportation system that gives people real choices when getting from A to B, that we must continue to focus uh, new development uh, near jobs and near existing infrastructure in order to reduce vehicle miles traveled and greenhouse gas emissions, and that we must demand more of a lot of our agencies, agencies like SANDAG, the Air Pollution Control District, and others who can be partners in this effort. You know, my intention is to come back to San Diego as the next mayor, but to also be a leader at SANDAG, to be a leader on the APCD board, which I wrote a law to reform to make it more responsive to the community. I think there's a number of ways that we can rise up to meet this moment, uh, and I'm anxious to do it. 
Barbara, what has shifted for you since Tom Hanks' day? So the pandemic has exemplified and illuminated the existing inequities that we already have. And it's made me focus that much more on building our economy in a way that includes every community. And, you know, I spent 30 years in the high-tech and biotech worlds, and they are, they have create high-paying jobs, they create good service sector jobs around them. You don't have to be a scientist to benefit from these worlds. And it's always been my vision for a long time of a tech and biotech center downtown. And it's actually happening with the revitalization of Horton Plaza and with the acquisition of the Manchester complex by uh, IQHQ, a new real estate investment trust. It's very exciting. And the issue now is how are we going to make sure that residents south of eight are going to benefit from this expansion of an employment center closer to where many people live, where we already have existing transit, which is very important in meeting our climate action plan goals. So that's why my office as mayor is going to include a school engagement coordinator who's going to develop structured relationships with schools from elementary school through high school, different expectations at different age groups, so that from a young age, children understand the opportunities that are available to them. And as they get older, they get access to paid internships that they can get to on public transit. And this is going to be transformational for our city and it's gonna help us in meeting our climate action plan goals. My next vision, which is also part of this, is a biopharmaceutical manufacturing center in Otay Mesa, where we have plenty of industrial land. Again, closer to where people live, good jobs. Some of these jobs do not require a college degree. You can get a two-year, uh, you can get a, tr a training at a community college. So this is how I'm thinking about our city moving forward, why I believe I am the right mayor for this moment in time to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us to grow our economy in a way that truly benefits everyone in San Diego and not just residents north of it. All right. Well, unfortunately, the time has really passed. I am excited to see how this resolves. I know it's going to be a busy uh, few weeks for you both. I know how hard and how much effort both of you have put into it and, and our city depends on people stepping up and putting in that work to listen to them and then go represent them. Uh, Todd Gloria, thank you for coming. And thank Barbara you, Bree, thank you for coming and, and uh, supporting our, our little world of discussion and, and investigative and explanatory journalism. Thank you all for coming. Candidates for San Diego Mayor, City Councilwoman Barbara Bree, and State Assemblyman Todd Gloria. You can keep up with all of our politics coverage with The Politics Report. That's a newsletter that Scott puts together every week, and you can get it at voiceofsandiego.org politics. Thanks for listening to San Diego Decides 2020. We'll drop more conversations from PolitiFest in this feed soon, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss them. And if you haven't seen it yet, you can check out our weekly podcast. It's just called The Voice of San Diego Podcast. Every week, our editors review the biggest news that's happened, what they're paying attention to and obsessing over, the big investigations that Voice of San Diego has done, and a lot of good politics and policy talk. So if you like this, I think you'll like that. So just search Voice of San Diego in your favorite podcast app, and there's a link in the show notes. This is San Diego Decides. I'm Nate John. Talk soon. Talk soon.